I've been to Italy many, many times, and my family mainly comes from the Molise region, which is right about the Achilles tendon of the boot. And the joke of Italy is, is that there's not much to do in the Molise region. Much the same is that uh, the talk about oh, of Italians in Ohio. Italians really in Ohio? You guys have Italian culture? Uh, what is it? Come on, there's only New York or Chicago. But Italians in Ohio are a different breed of people. Hardworking, factory workers, may, ranging from the Mahoney Valley, Cleveland, Canton, to New Philadelphia, to Steubenville. These people make up the heartland of Italian-American culture in the United States. I've had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Daniele Fioretti from Miami University through Dr. Mary Kovach, who, ironically enough, I interviewed a prior episode ago for her book with her two cousins, Don't Cut the Basil. Dr. Fioretti works with the Italian American in Ohio Oral History Project through Miami University. The aim of this project is to create a space to talk about Italian-American culture in the United States and in Ohio in particular. The Miami University Italian-Americans in Ohio Oral History Project aims to collect audio, video, recorded oral histories of Italian-Americans living in Ohio, as well as selected related documents, photographs, scrapbooks, diaries, letters, and other artifacts. The interviews and related documents will serve as a record of Italian experience as and as a scholarly and educational resource for the general public. Now, I'm going to post my interview that Dr. Fioroletti did with me. And hopefully what this will do is to help a lot of the listeners out there realize the deep history of what it means to be Italian-American in the state of Ohio. And as always, I extend the interview out to you all. I'm always looking to collect more stories and share more interviews with the public. So you know where to get me. Take a listen here at, right after the break. And for now, ciao for now. Talk to you later. Okay, I like that better. Start recording this computer. Uh, here we are. So, um, so, uh, Good morning, and thank you for participating in the Italian-American uh, uh, Oral History in Ohio Oral History Project. Uh, I think I'll start again. <laughs> You're good. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to cut this part. Yeah. So no problem. yeah. Okay. So uh, I need to, yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, the, um, the thing that I wanted, the reason why I started again, the, uh, of course, uh, one of the questions is when and where are you born? You don't need to tell me, you know, the exact date if you don't want to, you know, it could be general. For example, I was born in what, uh, whatever. So don't, don't feel pressure. And if there is something that you know, I, I hope you have, have uh, read the questions already, yeah, if yeah. there is something that you don't want to answer to, you let me know. And uh, if there is something in, uh, in you know, before I will post the the interview, I will I will send it to you so you can review it and let me know what you think. And no if there is something that, for example, at a second thought you think you don't want to be there, 
uh, I can edit the interview okay. my best and remove it or, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's it. And uh, anytime, you know, you probably, you probably read, you know, all the uh, copyright and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, for whatever reason, for whatever reason you want to, you know, remove this interview, just let me know. And I will. No worries. Yeah. Okay, great. And I, and I looked at the picture that you sent me. They are very nice. I love them. Yeah, all the three pictures, right? So there's the one more photo. Yeah, so uh, the first picture is of my Bisnoni uh, from Basso Girardi, which is a little village in the Molise region uh, yeah. that I have probably the most connection to because I've been back. Uh, I've been back many, many, many times. Like I was telling you, I'm, I'm, I've become quite famous, Datoresa de Ohio. <laughs> uh, and um, so that's where they came from. And um, I can tell their story because he has a, a bit of an interesting story, Camilo de Sirio. Yeah. And um, then I, I only, I don't, like I said, I only really know Italy through my grandmother because my grandfather died when my mother was 17 of a massive heart attack. So we, uh, uh, as per his grandchildren, we never got to know what Italy meant to him. Yeah. So uh, when we get into the interview, uh, a lot of it has to do with the cultural uh, embarrassments or like uh, no one spoke the Italian language in the household because they were afraid of the derogatory terms that came out of it. Absolutely. My mother never grew up learning how to speak uh, Italian because it was the parents' language. You're in America now, you speak English. And, um, and I used to beg her to tell stories to me and she would say, why do you wanna know? Why do you wanna know about the whole country? And when I went back to her village for the very first time, one of the few stories she told me, and uh, they're just uh, uh, the cousins I met are telling me about this. And then all of a sudden they told me the story and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the story she told me is coming to life and I'm seeing it before my eyes. And uh, she only spoke Italian once in front of me because uh, she was one of seven girls of 12 children of Vassar uh, Girardi parents. And uh, they only spoke back and forth. And the, where they're at is like a, it's a little coal mining town outside of New Philadelphia, where a lot of uh, immigrants came to settle. That they, the dialect there is, it, it's nicknamed the Roswell dialect because mm -hmm. anybody who came there was a mix of Polish, Italian. And so the children that grew up spoke this weird dialect on top of it. And uh, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's a dialect from the old country, but I tried to compare some, uh, some of the words and nothing, uh, nothing worked out. So it, they kind of created their own language where they settled as well. That's absolutely fascinating. Okay, so uh, I will start without further ado. Yeah. Uh, so good morning. Thank you for participating to the Italian Americans in Ohio Oral History Project. Can you please tell us your name? Uh, my name is Dr. Emma Coleman. I have my doctorate in uh, pharmacy and I am currently a practicing pharmacist in Northeast Ohio. Perfect. And when and where are you born? I was born in Canton, Ohio, uh, February 25th, 1987. Good. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Canton, Northeast Ohio area, um, but kind of my second home is New Philadelphia, Ohio, where my mother grew up and much of where my Italian heritage story uh, began. Oh, I see. Uh, so how do you define yourself? Italian, Italian-American, 
American Italian, American of Italian descent, or just American, because you probably know that there is a little bit of a debate on, you know, mm -hmm. these kind of labels. Uh, well, um, if I, so I, the majority of the time I consider myself Italian American. However, my father is Irish German American, so I don't want to put down my father's heritage either because uh, I, I love him just as much as I love my mother, whom which my Italian line descends from. However, I look Italian-American, I act Italian-American, and when people say, oh, you also have Irish German in you, I don't see it. So I just go with the Italian-American. Good, yes. I mean, uh, many of these uh, identities are in a certain sense very complex and multifaceted, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you know about your family name? Are there any stories about the history or the origins of the family name? Uh, so um, I'll start back. So my mother's maiden name is Bardelli. Bardelli originates from the um, the lake regions out uh, in Lombardy region. So her father's family comes from Sesto Calende, which is on Lago Maggiore in the Varese region of the Lombardia area. Um, so my story and my understanding of Italian-American doesn't really come from his line because uh, as I uh, said before we were introducing each other, my grandfather died when my mother was 17. So I don't really have much of an understanding of his story, but I do have an understanding of my grandmother's story. So her, my grandmother's maiden name is Desirio, which is one of the most, uh, one of the oldest surnames in Vasto Girardi, which is a little town in the Acerna province of the Molise region. Mm -hmm. And uh, those, uh, Desirio and her mother's maiden name, Amicone, are two of the oldest names that date back to about the 14th century in and around that area. Um, now, uh, the name Amicone comes from the same Santi Amico or Santa Amico, uh, which goes all the way back to uh, the religious saints uh, of the area. And Desirio, I don't quite know what the uh, origin is, but I know um, that the name wasn't Desirio when it first originated. It was uh, Serio, so it dropped the D-I from the name. I see. Well, great. You made such an extensive research on it. Great. I, I happen to come from a group of uh, Vassar Gerardi immigrants that have researched uh, their heritage all the way back, and the village itself uh, takes great pride in the, in the historical understanding and comprehension of the area, because they also have um, great cultural uh, heritage as well, because they have the Samnite temples in that area, which uh, originate into uh, almost Roman times. Uh, the the Samnites are very similar to the Tuscany area of the Etruscans. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so there's a temple in that area. So uh, a, many of the villagers know their heritage that goes substantially far back into history. Mm. Oh, I understand. And, uh, you know, um, do you know any stories about your family before they came to the United States? Like yeah. doing or yeah. Um, so uh, my 
uh, bisnono, uh, Camillo Desario, was a gentleman that was of poor income in the family or in the village. Uh, he lived in what is called, according to the Vestesi dialect, Kampalung, which is the long field um, outside of the village. And they were kind of poor farmers. And he would go back and forth to America. And at one point in time, he was in the Oklahoma oil fields. And he also um, found his way working for Nikola Tesla in the Buffalo area uh, for his power plants before he finally was able to prove to my bisnona, Carmela Amicone, that uh, he was worthy of, uh, of marrying their daughter. Uh, their daughter, so Carmela Amicone, lived um, in the center of town. The farther into the center of the town you live, the more prestigious the family you came from oh, yeah. originating. And uh, they would not allow, uh, her parents would not allow her to marry him because he came from the fields. And so he would go back and forth, back and forth until he's like, okay, I've done enough. Um, because uh, he couldn't resist uh, keeping his eyes off of her from the day that she was washing clothes on the river where you can still go in the village and see where the women wore away the rock or the stones from washing their clothes and he and the other gentleman would stand up on the hill and say I want that one and they would point down to the women uh, so that's how their story started in the village I see oh that's fascinating fascinating story and uh, yeah uh, so, uh, let me think for a second. It's very interesting that you said that you are, uh, that he came back and forth. Uh, so, was, was his original plan, as you know, to live in the United States or just, you know, uh, make enough money to come back to live, uh, to come back in Italy to live, you know, more comfortably? Um, I don't know what his original plan is, but it's much of my own um, understanding is that because there was such um, people looked down upon him because of his poverty uh, background that I think he, um, he intended to come to America at one point in time to make his own way. Um, because, uh, so the story, I'll give you a little bit of the story. So um, Carmela Amicone's brother came to the Buffalo area and Buffalo has a huge Molisani community there. Mm -hmm. um, so back then it was Abruzzese before the, Mol the Molise region was created. And um, so he would, uh, he, uh, they ended up bringing the family to the Buffalo area before they came to Ohio. And uh, his brother-in-law became a very wealthy restaurateur and uh, later his descendants became a famous uh, funeral uh, directors in that area as well. Uh, he got tired of depending upon them for money, so he continued to make his way west and he saw a newspaper article. This is from what I've heard from my grandmother and her sisters uh, to come to the Roswell area in the Tuscarawas County region uh, to work in the coal mines. And he's like, I'm not going to um, uh, depend on you anymore. And he left his job at the time and the most, what I find most fascinating, he was working for Nikola Tesla and the power plant there to come and work in the coal mine, which is far more, uh, I think it's a, it's a step down from working with Nikola Tesla to work in the coal mines. But I think he wanted to emphasize that he was a hardworking man and that he could make his way and he could support his 12 children and he didn't need to depend on family. 
Yeah, I see. So uh, we were talking already about this before we started recording, but uh, have you ever been to Italy? Uh, yes. Yeah. So my um, so my first trip to Italy was when I studied abroad with my university. I have my undergraduate from Walsh University in North Canton, Ohio. Uh, Walsh University is a Catholic university um, that is based on the Brothers of Christian Instruction Directive. So many people uh, understand Catholic universities uh, in the Jesuit background. So the uh, Brothers of Christian Instruction are a French group of educators. And uh, they had a campus in Castel Gandolfo, which is a um, outside of Rome, about a 40 minute train ride. And it's most famous for the Pope's summer palace. Now the current Pope doesn't uh, really uh, visit Castel Gandolfo as much, but the prior Pope, I, I had the chance to meet him twice in person. Uh, we were all maybe 10 feet apart. So um, uh, that was my first time that I went and that was in 2009. And I have to say, when I landed in Roma Fulmicino, there was a um, Italian woman that walked past me and uh, there's an English term called a doppelganger. Mm -hmm. So you're lookalike. And she stood right next to me on the train that takes you from one terminal to the next. And my classmates were looking and I had found my doppelganger. And it was the first time that my understanding of myself came into view. Um, that I was where I needed to be. And I was with the people that I needed to be with to understand that um, I shouldn't be ashamed of being Italian American. And as we go through the interview, I'll tell you more of uh, my story. Yeah. Um, so I went in 2009 and 2010. In 2012, I moved to Aberdeen, Scotland to get my master's in physiotherapy. And 2012 was the first year that I had the ability to go back to my, one of my ancestral villages, Besser Girardi. And I went for the first time, uh, July, uh, the first week of July to celebrate what is called the Bollo della Angelo, which is uh, they're most famous for. They pick a girl to represent uh, the angel to come down and actually be suspended on a rope and bless the people in the piazza and uh, the Madonna statue and the patron saint of also the village is San Nicola di Bari and they're paraded around the village. So I, I had the ability to have thousands of people in the village at that time to meet, but I have gone back and gone back and gone back because it's, it's just a place where my soul speaks and everything feels like it, it should be. I understand. Oh, that's that's very good. And uh, so, do you know what uh, traditions or costumes your uh, your family or ancestors have made an effort to preserve? Um, so the costumes they've I I haven't had any chance here in the United States to experience that, but I know uh, because Vassar Girardi takes such a pride in holding on to the heritage. And I know the Italian government is actually um, uh, giving money to villages that hold on to heritage that, that they've made a great effort to preserve the costume traditional to the Molisani uh, region and to the different villages, et cetera. Um, well, since the pandemic, unfortunately, they haven't been able to have the festivals, but they do um, uh, show off costumes for the women to wear, what the men look like, 
what some of the um, traditions were. Uh, most popular in that area are cheese making. Uh, Cacho Caballo is very um, uh, important in that area uh, because it's a major line for the goats and the sheep uh, in between the uh, north and then into the south to the Puglia region. So they pretty much take the sheep and the goats straight from the north all the way through the vast majority down into the south for the summer. And then they or in the winter, and then they parade them back up in the summer uh, through the area. So I was able to see that uh, ancient track of uh, migration of animals through the area as well. Mm -hmm. In addition, what I said as well, the Bollo della Angelo and the parading of the two patron saints, the Madonna della Grazia and Nicola de Bari through the village. Um, per here in the United States, um, much of those traditions uh, kind of have gone by the wayside due to uh, immigration. Uh, we don't parade statues around uh, here in Northeast Ohio. Um, we don't have too much of uh, cheese making, uh, Italian style at least in Northeast Ohio. And um, you don't see too much of the traditional dress because we have a lot of mix of, of Italian uh, immigration in this area as well. Yeah, yeah. One of the great things about Italian American culture is exactly, I would say, it's in betweenness, being kind of in a liminal space between Italian culture, American culture, and other cultures that are mixed in the United States. That's what makes it so special, so interesting, at least from my point of view. Yeah. So, um, and uh, do you speak Italian? Um, I, so I never grew up speaking Italian. Uh, so I will uh, give a little background on that. So my grandparents, according to my mother, would speak Italian to their friends and their paisani in the basement when they'd have people over, or it was their secret language be with their siblings. But when my mother asked, uh, why won't you speak Italian to me? My uh, grandparents would tell her, it's like, no, you're an American, now you speak English. Uh, well, my mother learned how to speak, this is just a joke, but my mother learned how to speak Italian through the Godfather movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she, um, so she would learn through that way of translating back and forth and she'd pick up on the secret little words that her parents would say back and forth, or her aunts and uncles would say back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, um, because now I'm a, a second generation or, or even third generation, depending on how you look at it, I did not learn how to speak Italian until I uh, went to Italy for the first time in 2009. Part of my education there um, was that we had to take a, an Italian immersion class and uh, we would do our education in the morning and then go into Rome. And if we did not practice Italian, we were scolded because why are you going to be in Italy and not practice the language and speak English? It's many, many, many Italians speak English, but practice the language because you're trying to, to understand the culture. Yeah. So that was part of when I first uh, started learning uh, how to speak, and I have um, progressed through the years to get, um, I would say, an intermediate understanding of Italian. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too awful good when I, it comes out to writing, but um, I can um, carry a conversation pretty okay. Yeah, do you think that, for example, the decision of your, I would say, grandparents of not uh, teaching Italian to their children? Is there something that has to do, you know, with a kind of uh, an attempt to protect them from uh, stigma or from discrimination? What do you think? 
Oh, definitely. Um, so it, it, that comes with the terms, the derogatory terms, Dago and uh, WAP. Um, when you were to hear uh, those terms, so, you know, people would immediately not be able to gain work. Uh, no Italians allowed, just, my, just like no Irish allowed, no Catholics allowed as well. Um, interesting enough, um, I have an interesting background um, with my father being Irish German uh, descent. Um, much like that, when my um, parents uh, were to marry, my uh, paternal grandparents almost disowned my father for marrying an Italian Catholic because of those derogatory understandings and backgrounds. And um, my paternal grandmother struggled with this for years. And I think she struggled with this up until her death that her grandchildren and her daughter-in-law were of um, dirty blood uh, and dirty understanding. So I think that was carried all the way down through the generations of those derogatory understandings that that's much of the reason why uh, my mother uh, learned her Italian through the Godfather, and I have had to learn my Italian through going abroad. Yeah, yeah. I think you know this kind of positions speak a lot about the pervasiveness of some negative stereotypes that uh, were enduring over over the years. So, do you participate to Italian festivities or activities related to Italian American culture in Ohio? Yeah, so uh, currently I am the vice president of the Ben D. Marconi Lodge of the Order of Sons and Daughters of Italy in America. The lodge is located in uh, Canton, Ohio, and it is one of the more earlier lodges because our number is 505. So the lower your number is, the more early that it is. Um, the lodge originated first uh, in the early 1900s, and it was originally named after uh, President William McKinley. And then it changed to have the namesake after Ben V. Marconi, who was a famous um, socialite politician. He had many things that he did for the Italian community in Canton. Uh, so the namesake was switched over to his. Um, I also uh, try to reach out and I'm still connected with the cultural and historical research of my ancestral village in Vesso Girardi. I'm kind of like a go-between. Uh, so if there's a Vastesi um, ancestor who wants to get in contact with somebody in the village or learn more about their heritage from the village, I get them connected with the right person. Or if I need to help with translation, I do that as well. Um, but the pandemic has kind of made me very, very, very busy as a healthcare practitioner as well. Uh, so uh, much of those activities have kind of been spread thin with me and I haven't been able to get my hands uh, too busy. Yeah, maybe you participated to the famous Festa in Dayton uh, or, or no? Um, uh, here in America, uh, no, because our, um, our festivals uh, here in Canton have uh, become smaller and smaller and smaller. And okay. this adds to uh, much of my passion of trying to um, get people to recognize that it's not a shameful thing to be Italian-American and we're losing our heritage. Uh, I grew up going through the Italian festival and it was huge. Um, many singers would come. Um, uh, what, Dean Martin at one point in time had come and sang at one of the festivals in Canton a long time ago. 
and now we just have you know a day or two with maybe uh, a few hundred people that come to celebrate the area. Yeah. Um, that's one of my goals is to try to allow the younger generation, even if you're 1% Italian, still try to celebrate something of it. Um, and that's part of my goal and uh, where I'm trying to take things. I understand. And I think, you know, that part of the motivations for creating this oral history project is actually, you know, to record and to maintain the culture, the Italian American culture, because, you know, I have the same concern that some of these things will, will get you know lost and forgotten if we don't record them somewhere. Uh, so um, are there any traditions that you have given up or changed compared to your your family, something that you know you took from your family, but then you decided to give up or change? Um so I haven't really given up or changed anything um, per tradition. What I've tried to do is reinvigorate uh, the tradition. Um, my grandmother died in 2004. And when you lose a, such a, a strong pillar in the family, there go the traditions. And for a while, my family struggled to, um, we would have huge family get togethers with her being uh, number 12 or 12 children that came to America. Um, we, you know, there were tons of cousins that we would get together and those traditions of sharing the moment with the family is what I grew up with. And so um, that's what I'm trying to get people to um, be more interested in. Uh, you know, I realize everybody does work and they have their own families, but we can't also forget our tradition. So I'm always talking with family members to say, hey, let's get together. Hey, um, whenever this pandemic is over with, let's get together uh, to do this. Or um, we have competitions um, online to, to talk about stories, or let's make sure that we get this stuff down in paper. Um, much of uh, the uh, fact is, is that we've had a lot of ancestral research on my families as well. So I'm very uh, versed in my family history. Um, I know the pictures and I've gotten reconnected with some of the lost family members as well to say, hey, we're still over here. You know, you, you can always reach out if you ever want to. Good. So uh, I know that, we all know that uh, food is such an important part of Italian culture and Italian American culture. What, uh, what special uh, food waste traditions does your family have? Do you have any recipes that have been passed down? Um, yeah, there's one that, well, there's a couple. So um, I actually had forgotten about this because since it's been for so many years and my grandmother has been passed. And it happened to be that my husband uh, reinvigorated this recipe and my husband is Greek, uh, but it, you know, it goes back to una fatu una rat, one faith, one race. Um, so there was a dish that my grandmother used to make uh, that she would do, and we would always go down over a weekend uh, to see her. And she would make this um, kind of like the Sunday roast along with, um, it was a tomato based uh, red sauce that had a rice or an orzo in it. Uh, the Greeks call it ubetsi, um, but I just call it Grandma Francis's Sunday roast. Um, and so when he first cooked that for me, and I had forgotten about that, it reinvigorated me to start digging into her recipes uh, because we have all of her handwritten notes. 
Um, another thing that she used to make uh, were these cream puffs and she would create her own uh, cream to go into it. And uh, she would end up sharing those or another one was a worry cake that uh, the women would make when they were worried or stressed out. And so they would shove all of these sweets into it. It's kind of like a, um, a punch cake that Americans would know that they would drop caramel sauce into it, candies, whipped cream. Um, but what that was, it was cucina uh, povera. So cooking for the poor, you would use whatever you would have in the kitchen to make a dessert. And one new thing that I've created as well, I remember my grandmother talking about this, is that for Christmas and for Easter, they would get breads that were in the shape of dolls. And then the stomach was a colored egg. And uh, that was their treat. They never got any uh, toys or anything like that. But these dolls, um, I started to look into. And so I started researching. And it's much like the, the Pasca bread where um, they have the colored eggs, you just shape them into the doll. And those are traditional from Southern Italy as well. So I've started to create, bring some of her recipes back to life and to try to keep her memory alive through her uh, handwritten notes and uh, through the memories of the smells that she used to create in her kitchen. That's beautiful. Never heard about, you know, the, the doll with the belly as an egg, but... You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've seen that much of those came from Southern Italy, and I just remember her telling me that story that, oh, we were so poor, that's all that we got. And it was a, a treat to crack open the egg uh, or to color the egg if you had certain dyes in the house as well. Yeah, the most traditional Italian cuisine or Italian cuisines, maybe I should say, because every part of Italy have its, uh, has its own, uh, you know, traditional cuisine. It's uh, essentially, you know, peasants cuisine, poor people cuisine, because that's the, that's the thing these people had, you know. Uh, my, my grandmother used to say, and um, my mother used to hate sitting in the kitchen with her because she would make a pot of sauce that would cook all day long. Mm. And the kitchen would be like a sweat factory. Like she would go in and it's like, mom, I don't want to cook. I don't want to cook. But my mom, or, but my grandmother said, anybody can cook, but a true cook can make something out of nothing. And that is the root of cucina povera. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, even in Tuscany, I mean, uh, when, when you talk about Florence, people ask you, you know, there's, of course, the famous bistecca alla Fiorentina, but that's a kind of a recent dish because the most, uh, the most common dishes, meat dishes in, in Florence and in the area are made with, you know, poor materials, something that we don't eat anymore, just like, for example, the stomach of the cow or the tribes, you know, that's kind of, yeah. You know, um, you mentioned something like that. The last time I was able to go back to the village, um, they have a festival. It's for the Frere Agosto, so when everybody goes back to the village in August, and uh, they make a polenta with uh, cutatella. They uh, what they describe it as is the organ meat because no one wants it, and they cook it and cook it until it becomes this very aromatic combination, and they put it on the polenta. And uh, they took bets with me the last time I was there, whether I would take the salsiche version or the cuttatella. And I'm like, nope, I'll take the cuttatella to prove you all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's the magic of, you know, popular traditional cuisine, make it something delicious out of, you know, materials that, you know, that we don't, that we wouldn't eat normally. 
so you told me that after your grandmother died, I guess, you know, there had been a little bit of um, uh, less family reunions. Do you still have family reunions? Um, so what, uh, so my mother, uh, to break it down, to show how big this family is, um, has 41 first cousins alone. Okay. Um, so um, they've kind of gotten smaller through the years. Um, so we've just mainly stuck with, um, so uh, she has two sisters that were more close in age to her. So we, uh, we hold on and we meet with some of those cousins or um, because even my immediate family just descending from my grandmother, there are 11 grandchildren and there are close to 20 great grandchildren now that uh, that alone um, is enough just for a single day to create a small get together. Um, but um, the last big one that we had was when my grandmother's sister, um, my aunt Mary turned 90. Um, and that was just before, unfortunately my grandmother had passed uh, that we had uh, probably close to 100 or some odd people that had come to the party uh, to celebrate um, because those were the last two living siblings out of the 12 alive at that time. I see. So, and uh, uh, what happened What happened to these events? I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of cooking and speaking and getting together, but were there any special uh, traditions like, you know, playing games or, or singing music or dancing or something like uh, that? There are a lot of Dean Martin. Uh, I grew up with Dean Martin. Uh, I swear Steubenville is all over the place. It, uh, it's spread in, in my family. So any anybody who's from Steubenville, uh, you know, you, there's a great love of Dean Martin in the, the Roswell Tuscarawas County Italian American. <laughs> um, so I, uh, much of his music playing, uh, lots of talking, um, uh, lots of bedding. Um, I remember a lot of my older cousins because um, uh, many of my first cousins are, are 40 years older than I am um, because of where the age gap is, uh, that I would sit down and I, I would talk to these older cousins when I was a child and they would bet me uh, bet me money if I couldn't do something right or or if bet me money if like this outcome would come out. Uh, it, I remember many stories of my cousins playing jokes on me, um, pull, like breaking the fingers off, escorting quarters, just them uh, or them talking about uh, the the older generation and trying to give the verbal history down to me and get me uh, to sit and listen to it or uh, feed me with food in order to require me to sit and listen to the stories. Um, not a lot of dancing per se. The only time that I remember dancing would be at weddings. Um, a lot of the traditional Italian dance would be then, but I, unfortunately, I can't remember much of it because a wedding is only once in a while, but family get togethers are, are forever. So more of the verbal storytelling than the dancing. I see. And uh, so do you have, uh, do you have uh, family heirlooms or keepsakes or mementos related to your family? Just to, just to give you an example, I, I've interviewed, you know, uh, uh, a woman who said, you know, that her grandmother's wedding dress has become, you know, her mother's uh, communion dress, etc. And she still has it, you know, it's 100 years old, but it's still, 
it's still there. Do you have something of that? Um, much of that. Um, there is one uh, that I don't own myself because it's been passed down. The first child um, of the 12 in my family um, had this book and then they passed it down through their line since it stayed with the first one. But um, I've had the ability to take a look at this book. Um, it was a prayer book that my um, bisnono had. And I can actually send you some photos so you can see because uh, it comes from, I think it's dated like 1894 okay. from Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, that my grandpa or my uh, great grandfather would take back and forth with him that had just a, a page, a picture and then a page of a prayer and he wrote his name in it as well and of Basra Girardi and um, I've seen that uh, book and it's in such great shape too, mm. you know, looking at that he went back uh, that we know of about three times back and forth from Italy to America before he stayed in America. Um, mm -hmm. Another uh, item that has been passed down was an ivory necklace that my grandfather gave my grandmother on their wedding day uh, in uh, 1948. Uh, and you can't buy ivory anymore because it's actually illegal to have it. And it has gold design as well. Um, he bought that for her and he actually ordered away uh, to Italy for this necklace because he had many, many cousins still in Italy and it, it, he sent it back. My grandmother wore that on her wedding day and then my mother wore it on her wedding day. And then I w had the uh, chance to wear it on my wedding day as well. Um, I would never part with that. I don't even think I would let anybody clean it because of the story. Um, and much of the fact is because I, I, I come from a line of poor immigrants that many of the things that they've had were like dolls with eggs in them or things that were perishable and that they weren't able to pass down. And um, I hold on to those verbal items or verbal memories that have been passed down instead of the items. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's certainly, you know, a great, a great uh, memento for you. But I was very much interested about the idea of the prayer book, and I would be happy if you can share a couple. Of oh yeah, I'll I'll send you all of the photos um, yeah. that I have. I took a picture of every single page yeah. that you can take a look at, um, and uh, you can uh, use for your own use if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason why I'm intrigued, it's because, you know, I realized that these people, even though they didn't teach Italian to their children, but they still prayed in Italian. Yes, very, yes. Very uh, and they, um, I remember growing up is that my grandmother always had a rosary on her bedstand. Um, we, uh, I, I come from a very interesting background as well, uh, religiously. Um, because I came uh, Irish German father who grew up Protestant and then an Italian Catholic mother, um, we grew up in the church, but we were never baptized or confirmed in the church until I became older, uh, much uh, to help prevent the um, stigma from my paternal side of uh, coming close to disowning us. Um, so I made the decision as an adult to become an, uh, a Catholic, um, much as my siblings have as well. But we would always go to the church, and the church was where um, she would pray. Um, she would have her rosary. There were pictures of saints on the walls as well. Um, 
there was always a picture. Um, I there's a specific picture of Jesus that all Italians had in their household. And when I would go to any of my relatives, uh, it was Jesus when he was in the Olive Garden um, praying over a rock that every Italian would have. And um, my uh, cousins would always say, "Look at the picture. Make sure that you're reverent of the picture." Um, it was there, uh, they never really lost touch of their prayer. And I, that was the one of, one of the few times that I would hear Italian uh, was through the prayer. So, uh, more and more I hear your story and more and more I get convinced about you know, the importance of these cultural negotiations, especially, you know, if family comes from mixed heritage, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and could you describe the place, the, the neighborhood, the small town of the community where you grew up? Uh, what was it like? Was it, you know, uh, ethnic? Was it Italian or, or not? Um, so I grew up in northeast, uh, northeast end of Canton, Ohio, um, pretty much middle class white America, um, very little diversity. Um, I think I, growing up, I didn't really understand what it meant to be diverse. Um, you know, lots of African-Americans, lots of Hispanics, lots of whites. Um, their parents worked in the factories, uh, which were located and no longer existing now. Uh, you know, uh, I'm now 34 and uh, hardly any of them have been working uh, or even had workers in them. Um, now the neighborhood uh, is, it's kind of uh, dissipated and it's become more of a uh, impoverished area because those people who had families or had the ability to move out had moved out and those who didn't stayed and they stayed to where properties uh, values have diminished. Uh, there's very little cultural understanding um, anymore. But one of the big movements that I'm seeing is that there's an increase in Hispanics coming into these areas. And that's the new culture that is kind of uh, making a wave through. And Hispanics, I've noticed, that hold on to their culture and they share a lot of it. And you'll see it in the streets, their decorations. Uh, so I don't see too much of a, uh, of a diversity, even growing up, of what a, a Italian Americans, the Italian children uh, went to the Catholic schools. Uh, you saw very little of the Italian-American children in the city schools, or at least where I uh, went to school. And so you, you saw it changing over the years, you go there? Uh... Yeah, um, it's, so it changed from a middle-class, uh, you know, America to low-income America, the neighborhood that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And um, many of the people have now moved out to the suburbs. And that there too went the sharing um, around the church because many people would settle in and around the, the, the Italian based churches as well, that they only get together maybe once a summer uh, to celebrate a heritage and it's not that big anymore because many people have moved away. And I think that's adding to the dilution of the culture. Uh, when people move out to the suburbs, there too uh, moves out their culture and their heritage. So um, I'm trying to I'm trying to you know make a little a little math here. Does your does your family did your family or grandparents came to the United States before or after World War II? 
uh, before World War II. Uh, they um, they came in uh, right uh, before, so in the 1920s uh, that they came, and uh, they, um, well, first of all, they were back and forth, back and forth all the time, so they finally settled everything in, in the 1920s, and then that's where they settled in Roswell, um, where it, which is outside of New Philadelphia on Route 800. Um, and then they've all they've settled there ever since and then or they've moved into New Philadelphia and very few people actually live in the village anymore. Uh, so they either live in New Philadelphia or they've moved up to Canton like my mother has with my father they've lived moved up to Canton which is 40, 40 minutes north of uh, New Philadelphia. I see. And uh, do you do you know any stories regarding World War Two just like for example, you know. Uh, what, uh, how Italians, you know, uh, Italian Americans uh, lived through the experience? What was the feeling? Uh, yeah. There was a feeling against Italian Americans during that time. Um, so I can tell you my grandfather's story. Um, my grandfather, this is, they were married after World War II, my grandfather and my grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, he actually um, was not able to go abroad to fight because he had, um, his father and his mother had died of the Spanish flu. And he also had scarlet fever and he had uh, several other diseases as well, because when you're in these villages, you have poor water uh, systems as well. So he wasn't healthy enough to go abroad. Um, but much of the experience was is that, um, like what I've said before, um, it was a lower class type of fighter. If you were Italian, you were a fascist. Uh, you had to separate yourself out. Um, it's like, oh, I don't support Mussolini. Um, I won't speak my language. Um, I'll be a good American uh, to show that I can fight. And I think a lot of that too, like we've uh, spoken uh, in this interview, uh, comes or has root in why the language wasn't uh, spread down to my mother's generation, or at least in my mother's own experience, because of the Americanism or the Americanization of the war and that you only speak English, you don't share your culture, um, you're a fascist if you speak Italian, you're a supporter of Mussolini. Um, now, my grandfather didn't, like I said, didn't go abroad. He worked in, uh, he was mainly on the office side here because he wasn't healthy enough to go abroad. Um, but what he did and what my mother calls it is that he cleared the desk and sat at the desk and made someone who was more healthy go abroad. So that could have caused a lot of uh, hatred. Oh, this Italian gets to sit at a desk and now I have to go abroad and shoot a gun. Uh, who knows who he replaced and caused to go abroad to, to go to the front lines, you know? Yeah, and, and, uh, I think it's kind of sad, you know, the idea that uh, these people back in the day felt they had to, in a sense, uh, uh, repent or make up for... Yeah. A different cultural background. Yeah, you put that perfectly. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. Uh, so apart from this, did you experience directly or indirectly, maybe you heard of any form of discrimination uh, of Italians or Italian Americans? Um, it goes back to my paternal side, and it's a it's a huge struggle. My my father. Uh, 
has struggled with this for years. Being, uh, because, ironically enough, my father's converted to become Catholic after all of these years. My parents have, will have been married this year. It'll, in October, it'll be 42 years. And um, my paternal side um, used to hate my mother and uh, they would throw plates at her head when uh, they would go back. Uh, my dad would go visit his grandparents. Um, I love, love, and I'm not, I'm not going to make excuses or anything for it. I love my grandparents on my paternal side. Um, and unfortunately it is what it is. But, um, at one point in time, my paternal grandparents used to, uh, say out loud to us that, um, we were their dirty dig-a-wop grandchildren and that they had to watch them. Like it was, you know, the ultimate sin for us to be in their presence sometimes. Um, I think much of this is what uh, caused me to struggle to understand who I was or who I am or who am I going to be until I got to Italy for the first time and said, this is having pride in being Italian-American. Um, again, I'm not going to make excuses for the behavior. Um, I'm going to understand the behavior and that's all that I can really do. Yeah. I mean, all, all these things, all these behaviors must be seen to a context, right? So yeah. for, for many people, for the majority, probably of the, uh, the American people, the stereotypical representation of Italian Americans were just widespread and was taken for granted. So mm. who knows how many, uh, I would say, things that we now believe uh, and uh, uphold to will be considered stereotypes in, in a few decades by, by other people and we will be blamed for that. And I guess this is what, what happened to these people. They, they firmly believed that, uh, some, that some ethnicities were you know, better than others and that's, uh, and that's more a fault of the culture that were coming from, the society that they were coming from, that individual and individual faults. Uh, mm -hmm. But outside of the family, did you hear any name calling or, you know, informal discrimination in the neighborhood against Italians or Italian Americans? Uh, you know, for, for my generation, um, I don't, uh, I, I'll be honest with you, outside of the family, no. Um, because I think uh, what it means or what an Italian American looks like for my generation, at least for anyone who grew up in the, in the early and late 90s, uh, it kind of became, went by the wayside. But from my mother's generation, um, you know, especially with her, um, you can definitely tell she's Italian with her surname. For me, you can't tell if I'm Italian with my surname, but you can tell I've got some sort of ethnicity in me because I'm dark complected, dark hair. Um, she, I, I'll just take a guess that she probably did experience some of this uh, uh, as well, um, especially too growing up, um, she, you know, she grew up in New Philadelphia, which was either you were either Italian or you were white working class uh, people. Uh, so there was probably a, a one sided uh, issue in that manner. I'm, I can't speak for her and her own experience, but I can only assume that there, the possibility is there. I guess growing up, as you said, in a mostly white middle class neighborhood and with a certain level of diversity, probably, you know, uh, I don't want to say protected you, but yeah. in sense, you know, made it. And of course, if your parents or grandparents have experienced this form of discrimination, they were probably not sharing the story with their children or grandchildren. 
probably because they wanted them to be integrated as much as possible and not growing with, with grief or, uh, or I would say, you know, rage against. Uh, oh, uh, de definitely. And I think that's a lot of the root of why my grandparents never allowed to, or my mother to speak Italian. Mm. I think that's much of the root with that. And I would agree with that statement. So what about uh, stereotypes? Because uh, every time, uh, every culture have, you know, has a sort of stereotypical view of other cultures, especially if there is no um, extensive interactions between different ethnic groups. So for example, I'm thinking about uh, Italians coming from Italy and thinking about the way Italians look at Americans or look at French or look at etc. Where, uh, where you were growing up in um, in the United States, did you perceive any stereotype related to Italian Italian Americans in the United States? Um, I will. I'm going to revert back to my experience when I uh, went abroad for the first time in 2009. Um, in my group, I was one of two. So there were a total of 12 of us uh, that were in this group. But I, uh, me and um, a gentleman were of Italian heritage. Everyone else was uh, white middle class. I was in uh, the study abroad group. Um, I remember this at, at one point, uh, somebody uh, did not want to eat uh, uh, an Italian dish because it didn't match up to what Olive Garden was. Uh, and I turned to them and I said, there is more to being Italian American than just Olive Garden uh, or Pizza Hut or Papa John's. And um, they continue to struggle with this. It's like, well, this is what I have an understanding of what Italy to be. And we're walking around the ancient streets of Rome and she's saying, this is what Italy is to me. I'm like, but we're in Italy where all of that derived from um and it's a i think the the chain food culture here in the united states is one of the biggest stereotypes i've seen or chef boyardee that all italians make pasta uh as well uh, nothing on chef boyardee um but uh the commercialization of italian food has caused the new generation to have a misconstrued understanding of what it is to be Italian American and what uh, it means to go back to Italy as well uh, to rediscover your heritage. Yeah, for example, thinking about other things that are widespread in popular culture for good or for bad, like Italian or Italian Americans being overtly emotional or uh, loud or something like or, or like uh, or like Sophia Loren everybody uh, Sophia Loren's got the big boobs and the big butt um I I happen to ask one time um I have a couple um Italian gentleman friends uh, just uh, uh you know friends to chat with etc to practice and I happen to ask her, this is before I was married I'm like hey um why is it that you don't find me attractive in this manner and they said oh we want uh bambolas so doll babies we want the blonde hair the blue eyes the big boobs and the butt i'm like well that's kind of misconstrued because italians uh, you know come in all sizes he's like well you look like my mother and uh i'm like on the other side um that's what i've experienced asking back but then my american friends they understand things through sophia loren's uh, accentuated movies or um the sing-song type of dialect uh, that they think Italians speak. 
Uh, now the only play or the only dialect that is much sing-song from my understanding is Neapolitan. Yeah. Neapolitan tends to be very bouncy when uh, it's spoken. But we here in the United States, we think that's what the, everybody talks about. We, and we talk with our, with our hand to, you know, like this, we're very gestured. Uh, and I'm like, well, there's a little bit more to it. Uh, you have to dig a little bit deeper into Italy. Yeah. Yeah, for example, I mean, one, another big stereotype in the United States, of course, is that Italians all dress, you know, elegantly. So as, as I said, for good or for bad, but there is also, you know, the big stigma of uh, Italians being part of the mafia, right? So yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that I've grown up, and like how I said earlier, my mother learned how to speak Italian through the Godfather movie. Yeah. Um, so much of her Italian understanding is business oriented, but not every Italian was, uh, you know, involved in the mafioso. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, you the mafioso uh, that's a different conversation different day but much of that is rooted in the supporting your own people because they couldn't get the support where they needed to get it yeah i mean i was reading an article the other day that said uh, that even in you know the moment when they were most powerful the mafiosi in the united states were uh, around 5,000 people out of a population of 15 million Italian-Americans, yeah. do the math, right? Very small, very small. But it's the media, right? The media yeah. enlarges a certain, you know, characteristic, especially because it sells, right? So, mm -hmm. and, and in a certain sense, being powerful and being dangerous also reflects on uh, some, you know, on some Italian-Americans, so they, they, they feel, probably, I would say, they, they feel that this is something positive or that reflects positive. I, I, can't, I can't deny that. I think what you've st stated, it, it has root in a lot of people's, uh, those who are Italian-American at least, have a lot of uh, understanding because it's almost like a, a beautiful thing to follow, uh, the understanding of the mafioso, the, the beauty or the operatic uh, aspect of it. Um, I had read also, uh, bouncing off on that, that Corleone in Sicily has such a tourist drawl um, and people are almost obsessed with going to that area and finding the mafia that it's, it's almost, it's a, a crazy thing to comprehend that people have got, become so drawn into the operatic and the beautiful moments of what it is. And actually it's far more diverse and far more deep than what they think it is. Exactly. Yeah, uh, one of the biggest efforts I do in my Italian American class is try to uh, dismantle this stereotype, this romanticization of mafia, just uh, trying to show people how, you know, The Godfather is a great novel, it's a great, it's a great movie, it's a great series of movies, certainly works of art, but they are not, you know, truthful representation of what, what mafia was or our mafia is so that's you know this romanticization this allure of power and uh, dark greatness maybe it's still very still very negative for the image of italian americans in my in my opinion uh, do you think that you know in recent years the uh, the perception of italians or italian americans have changed in uh, uh in american culture 
Do you think it's more accurate than it was in the past or, or it doesn't? I think we're getting to that point, my generation, where we're starting to focus on the cultural hardships that we have gone through and to trying to reinvigorate the heritage and moments that we've had. Um, I've seen lots of movements uh, from the Cleveland area, uh, young groups of trying to hold on to um, uh, some of the more famous festivals. Uh, Youngstown area as well, holding on to some of the uh, more famous festivals and some of the movements too, um, as well in those areas. And uh, much the same, uh, I, I can only point out uh, this because they're very popular, the Brooklyn Italians, because uh, a lot of them uh, have more national podcasts, et cetera, that the younger crowd that they're trying to draw um, to uh, reinvigorate the culture and try to move away from the mafioso understanding, because I think much of the 70s and 80s was uh, uh, had foundation in the, that thought, and now we're just trying to get back to the basics. Yeah, well, this is this is, I guess, a personal, you know, curiosity. But since you had, you know, so many back and forth and so many interactions with. Uh, with Italian culture, up to the point that you told me that uh, in your in your the, the village where your family originated, they call you Dottoressa dell'Ohio, so which means you know doctor from Ohio. Uh, do you feel that um, uh, Italian views of America in general, as also I would say, stereotype or at least inaccurate, because you know these things go both go both ways, right? Um, I've been told at one point in time that um, through a lot of my back and forth that um, American, Italian Americans especially have this uh, misconstrued dream about what the, what Italy is, um, or that we come back with this great fantasy and it doesn't always, like we'll find our relatives, we'll be accepted, it's like, oh, a big old family reunion, and sometimes it isn't quite that way. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I've, I've been blessed to have amazing experiences going back and forth, but I've also had experiences where they've been utterly disappointing too, where it's, um, I can see uh, that we're, there's not much difference between our day-to-day -day life. Italians live much the same way as we do, a coffee in the morning, uh, you know, a pastry, and we go off to work. There's Life is not that different, even uh, six, uh, a six-hour flight away yeah. or a nine-hour yeah. flight away. The only thing that makes us different is our story. Yeah. And um, coming to realize that, that it's not always all the festivals and it's not always uh, the family get-togethers and that you're there to also uh, have a moment, um, a, a small moment with everybody, uh, kind of was a humbling moment for me because I went back one time and there was somebody that wasn't there that I wanted to meet and I got upset and it's like you're you're so uh, wrapped up around the the festivals here because you've been back almost every festival that you're here when there isn't one and you're forgetting that we're also normal people too yeah and yeah. I, I had a humbling moment during that time and uh it, it was a learning moment for me uh, for next time when I go back yeah, uh, I'm also thinking, you know, the reason why I'm asking you this question is because I'm thinking about, you know, the, the role that people like you play into this 
complicated cultural interaction. So the key role that these people play, because being part of two cultures in a sense, help uh, you, so make you kind of an ambassador of both cultures. So helps, for example, Americans learn more about Italian and Italian American culture and makes Italian learn more about American culture. Because um, I, I, coming from Italy, I know for sure that many, many people in Italy think that America is nothing but, you know, New York or Los Angeles or Miami Beach. That's, for example, they're totally oblivious of the existence of the, you know, big West, big Midwest rural America. And so they, they live in these, um, they have this fantasy about what, what America is, which does not necessarily correspond to reality, right? I, I agree with that thought. Um, I was in New York City uh, two and a half years ago, and I happened to run into some Italians, um, and they were just asking for direction. And I tend, just because I'm uh, so traveled, I tend to blend in like a like a normal person in the city walking around, and people come up and ask me. I just pulled out my iPhone and gave them the directions. Um, but they asked, oh, you know, where, where is um, Brooklyn? Where is uh, the Italian neighborhood there? And, uh, oh, that's what we know this to be. We want to go to the restaurants. Um, and like you said, the, a lot of them have forgotten. They're like, oh, are you Italian? I'm, and, oh, where are you from Ohio? Are there Italians there? Uh, it's almost like how the Italians say that the Molise region is the most forgotten region or that there's nothing there. The Midwest is the probably the most forgotten area of Italian-American culture. It's like, oh, there are Italians there? Oh, okay. I think we have probably one of the deepest roots in hardworking America. Uh, working in the coal mines, you know, several, uh, maybe 100 feet below ground to get coal out, like my great-grandfather, uh, grocery store workers, um, you know, just people trying to educate their children uh, and assimilate as well. Our story is just as important as the glamorized New York, Miami, or, or LA version of Italian-Americans. Yeah, can you start to imagine what, would, what it would be like to work all day in a coal mine and, you know, uh, having to face so many difficulties and even form of discrimination just because you want your your children, your your family to you know be more integrated than you are, having a better future than you are. That's you know heroic in my in my. Mm -hmm. um, you know my grand my great grandfather worked in the coal mine um, up until a few years before his death, and um, he worked with Polish immigrants, Italian immigrants, uh, mainly in that area. And, you know, you're talking about a man from what my grandmother told me was barely over five feet because the coal mine shafts were dug shorter. So either you had to, if you were very tall, hunch over or they hired on more of the shorter people uh, to go into the mines because they were, uh, they didn't have to hunch over as much with it. Uh, it's a dark, uh, a dark environment where you are only between you and your mind in some of these areas. And uh, I, I know that there is a story, uh, I can tell, send you a link to it, but there was a coal mine in um, West Virginia area that a lot of the vast majority immigrants had also worked into called Manunga. And um, it had collapsed and several hundred vast majority people had died. 
um, that were working there. So luckily my great grandfather didn't have to experience anything like that, but coal mines were an awful environment to work in. Oh, wow. uh, so, so I think that, you know, I, I happen to know that you have created a podcast on Italian American culture, right? So yeah. you are taking an active role into the preservation of Italian heritage and Italian American culture. Can you talk a little bit about it? Uh, so my main goal um, and something that we are struggling with in the order of sons and daughters of Italy and America uh, are drawing interest from the younger generation. Um, you know, we are too, so busy these days that we have our phone and our phone and our phone, phone on our head, phone in our hands, phone in our pockets, the whole nine yards. We go to the gym and we have our phone. And I thought um, I was kind of more or less uh, inspired by another podcast called the Italian American Podcast, which is run by uh, several Italian Americans out of the Brooklyn area. Um, I'll let everybody take a look into that. And I'm like, okay, if they've had this widespread outreach uh, and they talk about popular cultures, historical moments, et cetera, why can't I do that to focus on Northeast Ohio um, Italian Americans? Uh, we have a strong and powerful story to tell ourselves. And we have a new generation as well, much like myself that's mixed. What does the mixed generation mean uh, and experience what it's like to be Italian American? Um, so that's been my goal with that. And uh, each podcast will have a different theme. Uh, my most recent episode was with Dr. Mary Kovach and her Cuginian La Cucina and with her two cousins and they created the cookbook, Don't Cut the Basil. And it was a wonderful interview that I had the, uh, the ability to have with them. And if anyone would like to uh, listen to that, it's uh, uh, order or it's the Benzi Marconi Lodge. It's more than pasta podcast that I can add the link to, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to here that you can share as well. Yeah, please do. I mean, um, I can't subscribe, but, uh, but if you can share me the link, I will yeah. put it on my website. Yeah, yeah. So um, if anyone's ever interested, they can listen to it as well. Um, I'm, I want to share the stories because we have, uh, interesting enough, we have a group, two groups of... I'm sorry. Can I... Did I miss you? Hello? Is there something going on with the connection? Hi, hello. 